Let's pray as we come around the word this morning. Father, we commit our time around your word this morning and around the idea of our, our uh, beliefs. And Father, what, our, what, what are the, the foundations of our doctrine? What are the foundations of what we believe? And that we would know what we will believe, Father, and that we would drill down, Father, on those beliefs. And uh, God, I, I ask you, Lord, that you would allow me to be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would anoint me to be able to speak a word in season, Father, that, that the hearers today, Father, can take hold of what I'm sharing, and God, that it can help them lay great foundations, but also thrive, Father, in life. Lord, we commit it to you now in Jesus' name, amen. I know that Beck mentioned it, but I'll just mention as well, we've got a leadership meeting at 11.30 this afternoon or this morning uh, for about 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, just talking about some of the things that are going on this this year, and I want to sow into your leadership as well. So, if you're a leader or a volunteer in the church, if you can uh, spare that hour, it's it's it, we do it on a Sunday after afternoon rather than coming out for a separate night. And so, uh, if you can be there, that would be fantastic. So, we're looking at our statement of faith, and the way that I did this is I looked at the the INC statement of faith. Uh, the INC is the, the movement that we belong to. And I looked at what their statement of faith was, and I've, I've taken their, uh, I think it was 14 points they had in their, uh, or 11 points they had in their statement of faith, and I've added a few. Not that I think that they are, uh, are not quite complete, but just I wanted to, to be very clear on, uh, for a preach on what our, what our beliefs are. And knowing what you believe is so important because faith is about belief. And, and one of the challenges that the devil will come, you know, when the devil came ac- across to Eve, one of the first things that he said was, has God really said? So the devil will challenge you as to what you know about what God has said. He will challenge your faith. Has God really said? And that's why it's important that we understand what we believe, that we know what we believe. And, and if there's points on, this, uh, on this, uh, this list of 18 things on our statement of faith as a city and at church, if there's things you don't understand, then go and do some research. Or go and talk to your Connect group leader or come and talk to Melanie or myself or come and talk to Brian or Dawn or come and talk to Beck and Damon and let us unpack some things for you so that you are... Uh, uh, deep in your understanding of what we believe. So the first things that we touched on on the 14th, which I'm just going to touch on quickly, is uh, we believe in the Holy Scriptures, their inspiration and infallibility. If you don't believe that this is the infallible Word of God, you'll never thrive in your Christian faith. You must believe that this is the inspired Word of God. The second part of our statement of belief is that we believe in the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Monotheism, we believe in one God, but three distinct values, three distinct beings, Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, three distinct personalities. And I mentioned that a great way to picture this because the Trinity is a, a difficult concept for us to grasp. How can there be one God, but, but three distinct personalities? Well, there is, there's an egg, it's one egg, but there's a shell, there's a yolk, and there's a white. One egg, but three distinct characteristics of the egg, three distinct functions of the egg, but one egg. And don't ever let people, because people say, oh, Christians believe in three gods. Muslims really hammer Christianity and they say, oh, because they say we are the only true monotheistic religion in the world. Mono, one, theism, one God. So that they actually say the Christians believe in three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't believe in three gods, we believe in one. 
but three distinct personalities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Number three, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his humanity, deity, virgin birth, sinless life, atoning death for the sins of the world, resurrection for our justification and ascension to the Father's right hand. We believe in Je- that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He suffered and died on the cross. He rose three days later and uh, he is our Saviour. Number four, salvation by faith and confession of Jesus Christ as Lord producing an upright and moral life. How do you get saved? Well, it's not about knocking on that, that many doors. It's not about how you live. It's not about church attendance. It's not even about your tithes. It's not about whether you serve in the house of God. All those things are good, but they don't earn your salvation. How do you get to heaven? It is of no effort whatsoever on your part. You were powerless to save yourself. But Jesus Christ came as our mediator to save us. We must know that. Every world religion, I get asked occasionally, how do you know, how do you know that, that Christianity is true? How do you know it's the one true, Christi- one true faith? This is, the way I, this is the way I have great confidence. Every world religion lifts up the power of man and says it's man's effort that gets you to heaven, and they lower the power of Jesus. They say Jesus was a good man, he was a prophet, he was a leader, he was a teacher, but he wasn't the Messiah. And so they lower who Jesus is, and they lift up the power of man. You've got to go to Mecca, you've got to pray five times a day, you've got to knock on so many doors, you've got to live a certain way. And so they lift up, humanism lifts up the power of man, lowers the power of Christ. Christianity, completely opposite. Man, nothing. Jesus, everything. Makes sense to me. Number five, we believe in water baptism for all the believers by immersion. The Lord's Supper celebrated regularly in remembrance of Christ. It's communion. We love it. Number six, divine healing secured for every believer through the atonement of Christ and deliverance from all bondage to the power of Satan. We believe in miracles. We announced, where's Ben and Josie? Are they here today? Oh, we announced last week Ben and Josie are pregnant, uh, told by doctors, no chance of having a baby, like 0% chance. Maybe a little bit with IVF, but zero chance of natural conception, and now they have a baby. Well, they're, they're working on it. The process is underway, like right now. And, and this, see this, this, this here? That's a very technical and scientific symbol for the construction of a baby. It is, it is the prophetic statement of Psalm 139 happening right here. If you don't know what Psalm 139 is, it's about where God put us together in our mother's womb and knit and did this and, and the knee bone was connected to the thigh bone and the thigh bone, for those that know that song. Anyway, let's keep going. Number seven, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're speaking in other tongues. Uh, we believe we're a Pentecostal church. Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus uh, walked the earth, Pentecost came, uh, the Holy Spirit came uh, and ushered in the, in the church age and we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Number eight, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the equipment of ministry and the edification of the church. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the expression of Christian character in believers. So there's two. There's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that empowers believers for ministry and there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit which is the, the effect when the Holy Spirit turns up. And now we get to where we start. Number nine is where I left off last time. So we believe in the local church. The church universal operates through individual local churches that are the body of Christ and ordained commission to equip the saints and make disciples. I tell this story as a way of illustrating my heart and passion for the local church. Jesus dies on the cross and heaven is watching. 
He dies on the cross. He goes down into hell. He's in hell for three days. After three days, the Holy Spirit reaches down, the Bible says, according to Ephesians, reaches down into hell, raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus walks the planet for 40 or 50 days, about 40 days actually, 40 days, appears to about 500 different people, walks through walls, does some stuff, uh, tells some people about the Great Commission, appears for 40 days on the earth, then he ascends into heaven, walks into heaven. Now you imagine this, right? Heaven has been watching what has been going on. Everyone, the angels are there, they're all poised. Jesus is walking in, he has the scars, the nail prints in his hands and his feet, uh, the, 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 the spear in his side, it's not still there, but the hole's there. And uh, as he walks in, the angels, the whole of the heaven becomes silent. I mean, this is, a, this is a, a sacred day. Jesus walks in with his blood, walks up to the very throne room of heaven, gives his blood to Father God and says, it's done, I have purchased mankind. And he turns to all the angels and he says, I've purchased the redemption of, of mankind. Uh, it, is, it is now, we, we're going to be populated with people in heaven. And one of the angels stands at the right at the back says, what's the plan to tell everybody of this great gift? And Jesus says, I left 11 men down on the earth and I told them to tell everyone. The same angel Troublemaker, there's always a troublemaker angel. The same angel kind of says, is there a plan B? (laughs) And Jesus says, no, there's no plan B. Eleven motley men. That just days after the resurrection kind of gave up and all went back to their jobs. They're all out fishing. Well, that was good. We had three and a half good years. And Jesus was good. Did some tricks. It's all over. Now he's dead. I think we'll go fishing. Three, 11 men charged with the responsibility of the greatest message in mankind to mankind. So then the 11 turned into 120 in the upper room and they're praying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, brings in the church age. It's the age of the local church. There is no other plan. It's not televangelists. It's not a YouTube channel. There's no other plan of redemption but the local church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He laid down his life for the local church. When we get together like this, or whether, whether churches all over Australia, get, some get together in school halls, some have their own auditorium, some, some meet in, in, in unusual places. And, and when we get together, there's something incredibly powerful in the spirit realm. Because we just all walk in and we all walk in and we kind of walk in, you know, whenever we get here and, you know, we, we kind of sit down and we pick our chair and, and we're all just here. We're here at church. And we're here at church because we're here at church. But what you don't understand is being at church is incredibly powerful. Like the demons tremble at the church. A church that knows its power, knows its authority. There is something incredible about what happens here for an hour and a half. It's not just about ticking, oh, well, I've done church for the week. It's not just about coming and kind of connecting with some friends, although that's a part of it. Just your attendance and just the gathering of the church. Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And the world will tell you, you don't need church. You don't need to come to church. Why would you come to church? Church is a waste of time. Church is boring. Church is irrelevant. Church is just about your money. The world will criticize the church all they can, but there is something powerful. The world has persecuted the church for 2,000 years and it's still here. And if the Lord tarries and doesn't return for another 2,000 years, I want to make an ironclad guarantee. 
In 2,000 years' time, if the world's still here, the church is still going to be here. Because the world will, will, the world will come against the church, but the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you need to understand, just being part of a local church is so powerful. The church, the local church. Number 10, Bible prophecy, its fulfillment in world events, heralding the climax of this age and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he ascended, he ascended up in heaven. The, 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 the 11 disciples are sitting there looking up, kind of like we all were on Wednesday, looking at a blue blood red moon, and all we could see was clouds. <laughs> and then the angels appeared, and the angels said, hey, why are you looking up? He said, Jesus is gone, but he's going to come back. And all throughout the New Testament, it talks about the second, second coming of Christ. Jesus has been once, but he's coming again. Now, we could spend months unpacking eschatology. Eschatology means the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Now, when I grew up, the second coming of Christ was imminent. I grew up in a church where uh, we were not going to see past 1994. It was 1987. And we weren't going to see past 1994. Jesus was coming back. The Mark of the Beast was coming in. Bank cards were in. It was going to be 666. We've all got bar cards on our foreheads. We're watching movies. It was horrible. Who remembers those days? Everything. Yeah, every, we, we, we were not going to see past 1994. I mean, that's, that was what the preacher preached every Sunday. We're not seeing past 1994. I mean, there's a reason I got married in 1992. <laughs> I'm not dying a virgin. I found the first woman that would marry me and then we're done. Many true words said in jest, but anyway, let's keep going. I'm just being honest. Made it past 1994. And in fact, let me tell you something. I actually have written a blog, uh, which I'll post on the sitting at page this afternoon, on all the things where the world's about to end. Because it was going to end in, in, on May the 12th in 1940, uh, 1988 because it was 40 years after the birth of Israel as a nation. So 40 years, May, May the 12th, 1988, I was pretty sure we were going to die that day too. In fact, I was at uni that day, didn't even go to uni because I'm thinking it's going to die. We're, we're all going to like, we're up in the air. Take me, Jesus, take me. <laughs> of course, Jesus comes back on American time, so I would have been a day early, but let's not worry about that. <laughs> but all through, all through my life, there's been times Jesus coming back. Jesus, I mean, every, everyone knew Jesus was coming back on the yeah 1999, the, the 31st of 31st of December 1999. Clicking over, Jesus was going to come back. I mean, nobody thought about the fact that the the Julian calendar is out by four years, and actually the year 2000 happened in 1996. And if Jesus was coming back 2000 after 2000 years after his first coming, he would have been in 1996. We didn't think about that. And then who remembers the the Mayan calendar? Yeah, we're all going because the Mayans knew the end of the world. Reality is they ran out of pad. <laughs> they had a rock. They were scribbling. They ran out of rock. They went, oh, well, that'll do. It's 2,000 years. But everyone freaked out because they're going, oh, well, obviously the, Mayan, the Mayans know. And then there was that preacher in, I think it was the 20th of May, some point in 2012, some preacher in America predicted the rapture and everybody, like they sold everything up and the rapture was going to happen then. And then Shemitah, who remembers Shemitah last year, September last year, the world was definitely going to end. 
because you've got two blood red moons uh, and we had a Jew that did a, a jig on some sacred site and therefore Shemitah is going to happen. Now, I'm being a little bit funny, but the problem is that the world has predicted, 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 and as Christians, we become cynical about end time stuff. And so when I grew up, we were all taught we were all about the end times and the second coming of Christ, but it's all like now my generation of preachers have moved completely away from that because of the stupidity of some of the early day preachers. But reality is, let me tell you this, Jesus is coming back. And we do need to understand that there is a second return of Christ. Now, I'm not going to confuse you and get into the, the, whether it's a rapture or a tribulation or post-tribulation or I'm going to, I want to talk about the mark of the beast and all that kind of thing in this particular setting. But reality is, let me give you some scriptures. Jesus is coming back. Acts, Acts 1 and verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand and look into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Revelation 20 and verses 20 to 21, this is the last two verses of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. So we need to understand, we, I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Number 11, part of our foundation, part of our doctrine of statement of faith. If we go to the next slide. The eternal states that after you die, every person will spend eternity in a conscious, conscious state located in either heaven with God or hell separated from God. Now, just like the pendulum has swung away from second coming preaching, the pendulum has swung away from preaching about hell. Because what we want to do is we don't want to upset anybody and let them know that there's fire and brimstone and hell and damnation. And so we, we, don't, we don't preach about hell anymore. And what we do is we make it really easy for everyone to get into heaven. So we say, all right, all you got to do to get into heaven is just twitch a little bit one time in altar, in altar call. You don't need to ever be discipled. You don't need to change. You can go on living the way you want because God's grace covers everything. And you know what? Don't ever worry about hell. Because we don't, well, we don't talk about hell. And we make, it, make the road to heaven as wide as possible and there's no road to hell. That is, at times, the modern church. The problem is that the Bible says that wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. One of the scariest scriptures in the Bible is, is Matthew 7.21. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a scary scripture. I mean, this is not somebody that's backslidden that doesn't attend church. This is people that, that were in ministry. Didn't we cast out demons in your name, Jesus? Didn't we do any, many wonderful miracles in your name? Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a scary scripture. Reality is, the world gets very clever in its arguments against some spiritual things. But they don't understand because they say, it doesn't fit the crime. Hell doesn't fit the crime. Why would God, a loving God, a just God, send people who live for 70 years and sin for 70 years 
send them to a, an eternal punishment, the crime doesn't fit the punishment. You know, maybe we sin for 70 years, we go to hell for 70 years. Reality is they don't understand that, that we are born into sin. We are aligned with the devil. Hell was never made for mankind. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. The problem is Adam and Eve gave dominion over to the devil. We are born now into sin. Jesus provides a way of escape. And the Bible says that it's his desire that none should perish in 1 Peter. So God's desire is that none should perish. He, does a, he, he forms a bridge for us to get out of going to hell. And we need to understand that there's a place called hell that we need to shun. We need to hold on to Jesus incredibly tightly. I'm amazed at, at the way people backslide. I'm amazed at the way people just walk away from Jesus. It's like we're in an aeroplane. No one's arguing the aeroplane's going to crash. I mean, nobody gets out of, out of life alive. Everyone dies. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 10 out of 10 Australians these days die. We're on an aeroplane. The aeroplane's crashing. Nobody's arguing the aeroplane's not crashing. Jesus walks through the aeroplane handing out parachutes. The Christians grab the parachute. It's salvation. Now, for me, I've been on airplanes that I think are going to crash. I'm hanging on to that thing for dear life because everybody knows the plane's crashing. It's not, a, it's not a matter of whether it will or not. The plane is going down. But this parachute is my escape hatch. Too many Christians get the parachute and go, oh, yeah, thanks. I'll just put it on the seat. I'll just go to the bathroom. Other Christians, they just go, oh, I don't like this parachute. I'll just put it over there. Now, I would think if you have some revelation of a lost eternity, you are hanging on to Jesus with everything you've got. I mean, it doesn't matter what the world or what life throws at me, I will always have a passionate faith in Jesus Christ because when it's all said and done, that's all you've got is your faith in Jesus Christ. Hold on to Jesus with great passion. Number 12, what do we believe? We believe in the devil. Who believes in the devil? You didn't just ask him into your heart. Don't worry about it. I'm just, I mean, you've you, you got to believe in the devil. Putting your hand up is not kind of like, you know, it wasn't an altar call. <laughs> there are churches that don't believe in the devil. I believe in the devil. But I believe that the blood of Christ is my protection from the devil. I believe that being in a local church, I'm covered by the authority of the local church. So the devil, formerly one of the three archangels, caused the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. The devil and one third of the fallen angels are now active here on earth until the final judgment, where the devil and his hordes were stripped. Uh, and sorry, at the final, the devil and his hordes were stripped of power at the cross. Colossians 2 and verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So the devil had power and now he doesn't. So what he does is he bluffs you. He tells you that he's got power. He bluffs you, but the reality is the devil has no power. I've been in services and conferences where pastors will say, leave the devil alone. Just, just get on with your Christian life. Leave the devil alone. As if it's like, well, if you leave the devil alone, he'll leave you alone. 
That's what the devil wants you to think. The reality is the devil is here to seek your destruction. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Does that look like he's going to leave you alone? No, he's seeking whom he may devour. Now, this is, this is another reason why you need to be in church. The devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I get a picture of the, the, the Serengeti. It's like zebras and lions. The lion wants to eat the zebra. The zebra doesn't want to get eaten. There's tension. It's very true. Yeah, I I come from Nowra, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with coming from Nowra. Anyway, one of the Serengeti, there's lions and zebras, and the lion looks at the zebra herd and can't see a zebra. That's why they're black and white. It it confuses the lion. Seriously, if the zebra's in the crowd, in the, the, the congregation of other zebras, they're protected because the lion can't pick out an individual zebra. The problem is, as the zebra herd's walking along, the one of the zebras goes, well, I don't like this herd anymore. So they start walking a little bit back going, well, I've got an attitude about the zebra, that zebra, and that zebra, I don't like that zebra, so I'm walking out here. The minute the zebra separates from the crowd, from the herd, the lion can pick out that zebra. So that the lion, in, in, that, in real life, the lion looks for a sick one or a baby one or one that's got lost and is separated from the, from the herd, and that's the one they eat. It's exactly the same as the devil. The devil walks around looking for people who are starting to develop an attitude, who's starting to leave away from church, who start to say things like, I don't need church anymore, I'm going to backslide a little bit, and they walk away and the devil just picks them off. While ever you're under the authority and the covering of a local church, and let me tell you something, this is not hocus pocus stuff, this is real life spirit stuff. While ever you're under the covering of a local church, The devil can't attack you like he can if you are outside of that covering. I sat a woman in in, in Nara one time, years ago. She was a prayer warrior. She came to me and she said, Peter, God's told me that I need to step out of ministry and out of church. I'm just letting you know that I'm leaving. Every pastor wants to hear that. So I said, okay, where are you going? She said, "I'm I'm not going anywhere. I said, okay, great. So let me understand this. God's told you after you've been a prayer warrior for years in this church, God's told you to step out from underneath the covering of the local church and not actually plant yourself under the covering of another local church. She goes, yes, that's right. I'm going, that's not my God. She got, over the next decade, she got so beaten up by the devil, she never went back to church ever. And the spiritual attack on her life was off the charts. She became a mess of a woman. Just stepped out from covering Complete. See again. You've got to understand this. This is church and Christianity is not a game. We we don't. It's not like the can can. You don't step in and step out when you want to. It's not like the rocker horror picture where you take a jump to the left and a step to the right and you're all good. I mean, this is this is real life stuff. This is spirit stuff. And 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 you know we, we've kind of got this generation now that thinks it's so clever that it can do stuff with no acknowledgement of the devil. And we've got to understand that the devil is out to, for your destruction. Number 13, the Great Commission, Jesus' final commandment to man, for all Christians to fulfill and spread the gospel and fulfill his will that none should perish. Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is, this is the, the DNA of, of, now, of sitting at church. Is, it's close. It was close. Doesn't matter, I know where I am now. 
And the message is still the same. Whether in now or sitting in it, go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to, to every creature. And, and this is the DNA of this church is that we, we, we go. We're sending. It's like the chaplains. They go. It's like the guys, uh, the Solomon Islands, South Pacific, go. Global care, go. The life groups, the, everything that we do as a church is about going. Let's keep going. Number 14, miracles and answered prayer. God's power towards us who believes is exceedingly great and accessed by faith. I 100% believe that God answers prayer for the miraculous. Ephesians 1 and verse 9 simply says, and there is an exceedingly great amount of power that is towards us who believe. Think about that for a minute. I look at it like a big cannon. God's, God's got this cannon of power and he's firing it. The Bible says it's, it's towards us who believe. He fires this cannon of exceedingly great power toward us. That we walk with that. We walk under this umbrella of exceedingly great power. Now, if you pray for someone and they don't get healed, that doesn't change the fact that God's still a healer. I get frustrated because I love everyone that I pray for to get healed. But they don't. But I'm still believing that God's healing. God's a healer. And I'm still believing there's exceedingly great power that's towards us who believe. And if I pray and it's one in, one in 100 people get, get healed, then you know what? I'm still praying for the other 99. And I don't really understand healing and why everyone doesn't get healed, but all I know is there's exceedingly great power that's towards us who believe. And it's just my responsibility as a Christian, I'm laying on hands, I'm praying. That's my responsibility. If God heals, that's his deal. Can he heal? Yes. Does he always? No, not always. Why? I don't know. Ask the pastor. He knows stuff. I don't know. Actually, ask Brian. Brian knows everything. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that Brian. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that Brian. This Brian, not so much, but this Brian. Yeah. That's why they made that documentary, The Life of Brian. Anyway, let's keep going. Number 15, sanctification. That God calls Christians to live a life separate from sin and carnality of the world as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Reality is there's too many vampire Christians at the moment. Vampire Christians, we know vampires are after blood. I want to suck your blood. And so what happens is Christians come and they'll say, right, I, need, I, I want the blood of Jesus. So I want salvation, but then I don't want discipleship. I don't want to be changed. I don't want to have to stop smoking. I don't want to have to stop whatever I'm doing. I just I want the blood, but I don't want to change. The reality is that God calls us to change. We are called to a life of discipleship in Him. We want to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay not okay. We want to be a church, we welcome anybody, anybody with any problems, any issues, you're welcome here. But once you're here, we want you to come under the influence of the discipleship of Jesus Christ, where if you're not okay, and reality is we all have degrees of not okayness. I mean, apart from Brian. But everyone else, we all have degrees of not being okay. But, but we are all here journeying towards being okay. 
Romans 10 and verse 19, where it talks about that if you call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved, the word saved is sozo, which means journey to wholeness. You, when you get saved, you're on a journey to wholeness. We're all there. We're all on that, on that journey. And so we have to be sanctified. We have to be separate from the world. Number 16, we believe in people that every individual person matters greatly to God and to seek a, and seeks a relationship with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. People matter. And you know what? You know what, for me, it's not just white people that matter. It's not just white people that matter. There's a subtlety, I think, in the media and at times in our culture where, uh, and I've mentioned this before, but like a, a, a accident will happen. I'll tell you about a storm. The, the storm, Cyclone Harvey, I think, that hit Texas, 35 Americans died. At the same time, a monsoon hit Asia where 1,200 Asians died. What got the airplay? America. And there's a subtlety that somehow 35 Americans are more important than 1,200 Asians. I remember I reported the news. I write a morning news wrap every morning on Facebook. And I remember, thank you, uh, send money. I remember that I, I reported on a, there was a, a car accident in California where a car, a, five, a head on and five Americans had died. On the same day, a bus carrying 35 Nepalese fell off a, a road into a ravine and they all died. The, the car accident in California was mentioned on pretty much every website. There was only one website that mentioned the Nepalese. But Nepalese people matter just as much as Americans. So when I say that everybody matters greatly and I say not just white people, it's because it's not just white people. Every person matters full stop. As we wrap this up, if the worship team would like to come up, number 17, stewardship. We're called to be good stewards of all that God has blessed us with. This involved being good stewards of our bodies, our time, our talents, and our finances. Now, we know, all know the parable of talents. Jesus tells a story and he gathers, he gathers three, three, uh, three of his staff and he gives one, one talent, he gives the other two talents, gives the other five talents. He says, I'm going away for a little while. When I come back, I want to see what you did with the talents. So he comes back and he says, hey, to the five guy, hey, what'd you do? And he says, here's 10, thank you. And then he says to the two talent person, hey, what have you done with your two? And she says, here's two back. Uh, so there was four, so I've got 10, I've got four, and then to the other person, she said, well, I'm scared of you, so I just put it in the bank. To that servant, to that, to that person, Jesus says, well, I'm going to cast you out where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he takes the talent off and gives it to the, to the one. Now, in, in church world, we confuse the word faithfulness with the word fruitfulness. We think if we are faithful, that if we just turn up, that we're being fruitful. Reality is that the, the, the first person here was faithful with the talent. I mean, he didn't go and, they didn't go and put it on the poker machines or on the, on the, the uh, uh, didn't gamble it, didn't give it away. Didn't, I mean, they were faithful, but the other two were fruitful. See the difference? And so we've got to understand that Jesus is after us to be fruitful with our lives, fruitful with our ministry. Uh, I've been asking the church, and next week we're actually going to have a, a form that you can respond to where do you want to get involved in the church? Because if you're, if you're in this church, don't just be in it faithfully, but be in it fruitfully. Whether that be a life group uh, leader, a life group host, you may, maybe you want to help with youth, maybe you want to help with children's church, maybe you want to help with creche, 
there are many opportunities to serve in this church and it's time for all of us to stand up and say, you know what, I want to be fruitful and faithful, not just faithful. Last one, we believe that social justice reflects the heart of God and so the DNA of sitting at church is toward giving a voice to those who are in the world who have no voice, who are hurting, oppressed, abused or persecuted. If you ever lose your voice, isn't it frustrating? You, you, you want to speak, but no one can hear you. Or if you're ever isolated, we, we went on a cruise recently and uh, there were times where there was no service and no Wi-Fi. It was heavy days. But if I've got something to say, and, and it's, like, it's like when people respond back to you, but then for whatever reason you can't respond back, it's like you've lost your voice. You know, there are people in the world that, that have no voice at all. I'm not talking text or anything. I'm just talking that they are, they are uh, impoverished, they're enslaved, they're children, they're vulnerable, uh, they're women, they're women in Islam. They have no voice. And, and I think we as a church, not just sitting at, but we as a church universal, should give a voice to those who have no voice. That's what, to me, that's what social justice is. That's what Global Care is about. That's what this church is about. It's about finding people that don't have a voice and empowering them to speak or speaking up on their behalf. So they are the 18 points of our statement of faith in this church, and I hope you've got some out of that, uh, whether it be the 14th preach, 14th of January, or whether it be this preach, that you know what you believe. We're gonna, uh, we've got a new website coming, and we will put that, that statement of faith up on the website. We've got it on my blog site as well. But I encourage you to go through it. Unpack the Scriptures. Know, know what you believe. Uh, is there, uh, in my discipleship class that I run on Tuesday morning, I said to them, I said, is there, what, what, pick one of those areas that you don't know a lot about, and let's talk about that, let's discuss that. Uh, and you should do the same. What, what, what are the, the top three things that you know about? What's the weak three things? And then, and then study those and, and, and strengthen your faith, strengthen your foundations of what you believe. So then anyone who says, what do you believe about? Or, or if someone says, oh, you believe in three gods. Oh, you believe in that, that hellfire and brimstone. You know, you must be one of those hellfire and brimstone churches. Then you can say, yeah, let's talk about that. Or if somebody says to you, oh, why would, why would a loving God send us to, send us to hell? That doesn't, that's not fair. You can speak into that because you know the answer now. And you know, one, of the, one of the visions of this church is that we become articulate apologists, meaning that we can actually speak and defend our faith. We can speak into people's lives. As every head's bowed, every eye's closed, I want to give opportunity today. Maybe there's people here that don't know Jesus. I'd love for you to, I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anybody, you just raise your hand and say, Peter, I'd love to ask Jesus Christ into my, Lord, into my life as my Lord and Saviour. It's so important that we have Christ in us. It's so important that we come under the influence of the cross. Is there anybody here this morning that would raise your hand and say, Peter, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. Father, we just commit this week to you. Father, we commit every aspect of our life. Father, I pray, Lord, that throughout this month as we, we speak on Thrive, God, that we as a church will thrive individually and corporately together. Father, we thank you for all those, all those doctrinal points. Father, thank you for your faithfulness towards mankind. 
Father, thank you for your love for mankind. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.